uh, well um, versed in doing something they think is important for themselves and the community. I mean, have a look at when they all started to wear uh, seatbelts, when they all, even the smokers, started to realize that they had to smoke somewhere else other than within the office or, you know, right outside the, the door. They, they became incredibly um, easygoing and, uh, and compliant. Uh, it's just typically Australian. They're amazing. And so um, dropping the QR code, I think, was an assumption by the um, the business uh, sector that this would stop us from shopping and I really don't think it did at all. I agree with you on that one and I think that uh, the masks, I mean I spoke to someone they said, I think it was in Japan, that if someone has a cold they wear a mask out of courtesy mm. to everyone else mm-hmm. and I, good idea to adopt. Absolutely. I, I, I used to... Um, joke to my to my um, outbreak management class that what we should do is the first uh, day of the winter uh, in Australia is to wear a mask. Mm. And that was because um, in, in those days, we were getting ready for potentially, you know, every third year, really bad mm. influenza season. Mm. Uh, but we really don't need to do that anymore because Australians are remarkable mm. at wearing masks. I mean, you get the occasional person putting it under their nose, yep. which does not help them at all mm. um, because if they breathe it in, it goes straight to the brain because that, you know, brain um, blood barrier isn't very good when it comes to either Omicron or Delta. Yeah. Um, but so they do need to remember to put it over the nose. Yeah. Uh, and in the old days when surgeons used to wear it under the nose, uh, you know, they failed to appreciate uh, the science of um, um, staphylococcus coming from the nose in, you know, into the patient yeah. um, if they have a drippy nose yeah. <laughs> or they're really pushing out a, a, an awful lot of air. So uh, we've come a long way. Mm. And um, and occasionally I see people wear a mask under their chin, mm. and I haven't said anything to them. But I actually think they've forgotten. Yes, you know, they've they've pulled it down, gone to the bathroom or, or something, yes. or had a quick chat or a quick uh, sip of something, yes. and they've forgotten to put it on because I think Australians are quite remarkable. So I don't think that or the QR codes have really stopped us from shopping. I think what has stopped us is. A real feeling of um, uh, risk because they can see the numbers go up. They have a really good idea that without the booster shot, they are likely to get sick with um, Delta. They are unlikely to die or go to hospital, but they know they're sick with. They could get sick with Delta, and then they have a really good understanding that with Omicron, gosh, um, even those who've had a booster recently. Uh, have acquired Omicron, so the, uh, but it's mild. Is it mild because of the booster? Possibly. Or the two shots? Absolutely poss- poss- possibly at all. So I think that they're not going shopping or they're not going out uh, because they just don't want to get sick. Mm. Um, but uh, so I don't, I don't actually think removing testing, removing masks, and, and removing QR codes will actually improve the economy. I think what would improve the economy is for people to be able to be given for free by um, uh, the government a rapid antigen test 
so that they, you know, do it regularly if they mm. feel like it. Mm. So they don't go and see somebody who may have um, a health problem uh, and put somebody at risk. Mm. Uh, you know, the um, and a way to get the cost down of the of the PCR testing because a calculated on average between the public and the private pathology systems mm. that over the last two years it's possibly cost uh, just over $3.7 billion. So I can understand the government is actually seeing that and thinking, whoa, that's a huge expense. Yeah. But what they could have done, anybody with symptoms, do their PCR, and anybody that thinks they've been exposed um, you know, line up for the hubs uh, and have a rapid antigen test. That would have reduced uh, the PCR cost considerably because a rapid antigen test is about, you can get, if, if it's bought en masse, you could get it down to about $5 each. Mm -hmm. But if you're selling it to the community, it should be around $10 uh, or 15 and that's too expensive for a lot mm -hmm. of people who are finding um, life a bit tough at the moment. And, and they're really good points that you make. What I am interested in is earlier you said flu season kicking off in Australia, generally about wintertime. I'm wondering with COVID, is there just the season? There's no particular month or, or period of time. Are we just going to be living with various strains of, of COVID throughout the whole year? Mm. Well, in the northern uh, hemisphere, it's uh, freezing cold and they're going indoors. And of course, Omicron, like Delta, lives very well in, as airborne um, or aerosolized particles. And then it builds up and builds up and builds up and you breathe it in. In Australia, we have Omicron because um, we love seeing everybody in December, January. And, you know, it is classic Australian uh, super spreading. Mm. And if this was the era for, or the, the sorry, the, the month for super spreading of um, flu, which it isn't, we'd get it then instead of in the wintertime. Mm. Mm. So uh, I think that uh, this wretched uh, COVID um, virus and all the strains are not really responsive to temperature or, or humidity greatly. And so it's not going to sadly act like a seasonal thing mm. at the moment. It's around the world and just acting uh, and opening up because we're all uh, still breathing and um, providing it with uh, a nice um, human um, test tube for it to live in yeah. and, and then cause infection to others and continue to survive mm. as a virus. So do you think that um, with the way that it's spread very, very quickly, and I know you said because of the mm. festive season, now what we've had in New South Wales is a change of Premier and uh, it's sort of, if you look at how Gladys did things, she had more lockdowns, yet um, Dominic seems to forego lockdowns altogether. Is that a safe mm -hmm. way to ride, do you think? Look, I... I um uh, from an outbreak management perspective, mm. if it was going to be a lockdown and then it's all gone and you could just um, walk away, then a lockdown would work. Mm. And certainly that's probably what we thought when we closed our border and then we had to do a lockdown to try to get the numbers down while keeping our border closed. Mm. However, 
the government doesn't want to keep the border closed. But what they could have done to prevent the lockdown, to prevent Omicron or Delta from uh, continuing to circulate, would have been everybody arriving to the country, getting tested with a rapid test the instant they touched terra firma in Australia, mm-hmm. not for in within the 24 hours. Because, look, most people who are double vaccinated arriving back in Australia need to fill their fridge up and they want to go and see their family. Mm. Had they been tested as soon as they arrived instead of a PCR test within 24 hours and you might get it back in 48 hours or maybe um, in, or, or 24 hours yeah. uh, after, your, after your test, if you're lucky, um, they could have inadvertently, and they did, uh, infect others. And they didn't have any symptoms because they were vaccinated and they were protected and they were incubating it. And Delta is highly infectious um, a few days before your symptoms and possibly Omicron's like that too. So what they could have done to really reduce the risk so that we didn't have to go into lockdown was to make sure that if you're positive on arrival, because there's a long time between three days before you hop on the plane to when you arrive, Mm. um, and then we wouldn't have, possibly have ever needed lockdown because we would not have had high circulation. But now what we have is high circulation because of the super spreading period of December, January. Mm. So, uh, which so is an what, interesting point, isn't it? The, the December, January period. Mm. I'm just wondering with the, the case numbers that are being reported, you know, we're in the 21, 22,000. Are they reporting, as far as you know, on all the variants of, of COVID, or is it? Yeah. it how, how does yeah, that yeah. work? Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, so they're actually going to stop doing whole genome sequencing on every single person. They're going to do a small uh, proportion of people who have, uh, of course, been part of a household uh, cluster Mm. uh, who acquired it uh, over um, a four-hour period. Mm. And that's not going to give us potentially a really good idea of how much Omicron is out there. So uh, if you have a look at the New South Wales weekly um, surveillance, Mm. the last one they did was up to the 11th of December. Mm. And they provided the strains and the majority of strains uh, were basically, um, gosh, over 90% were Delta. Oh, up wow. to the Yes. Mm. So that was uh, just the, just the uh, couple of weeks between, you know, the end of November to the 11th of December. Mm. And there were only 48 Omicron uh, mm. cases. Right. Uh, but they did um, all of the cases for that period. Mm. Now, they're not going to be doing that anymore, which could, could be problematic mm. because they're only going to be doing it in those household uh, clusters, which may not necessarily mm, represent what's happening in the wider community that they don't know about because people can't get PCR testing. And if they do um doing a rapid antigen test at home because they can afford it, Mm. they may not be required or have the ability to tell the Department of Health that they have a positive test Mm. and then go in, 
have it confirmed with PCR, and that PCR also provides the sample for the whole genome sequencing. Yep. So we won't know really very well at all. I wonder if they've done this, though, to – and I, I don't know, maybe I'm just thinking in the wrong way, but by reducing our knowledge, we reduce the figures so it doesn't look as alarming – so that there isn't so much focus on it. Look, that could be the case. As as a um, as an epidemiologist in mm. infectious disease control, and um, you know, on a COVID um, control committee, yeah. uh, I find it surprising and unusual, given that uh, if you have a look at some of the um, reactions that the government did. Mm. Some of them were too slow, but when they were done, they were much better than the UK and mm. the USA. Mm. And so this is very um, disturbing for an epidemiologist in this mm. field because you won't be able to know mm. um, how many uh, uh, cases are very mild, mm. uh, how many don't need to go to hospital at the moment. I'm making an assumption based on a, um, an estimate of the increased hospitalisation, which mm. from the day before Christmas, mm. there were uh, 382 hospitalisations, and then yesterday there was 1,066. Mm. Now, now that enormous increase is possibly just due to Delta, yeah. because when you have an increase in case numbers, there's usually about a 10-day delay mm. in hospitalization increases as mm. well. And so there's been an increase slowly mm. from mid-December to you know Christmas to mm. January 2 in hospitalization. Mm. So I, I can tell you that. I can say I think um, that the majority of these cases in hospital are unvaccinated yep. um, or... If they have had a vaccine, their antibody levels waned dramatically mm. uh, because they haven't had their booster yet. Mm. However, and they're probably much older if they when they went to hospital. But given that they're not going to tell us this anymore, it's very disconcerting because myself or the public can't understand how safe they are going to feel. They also won't know whether a new variant of concern has snuck into the into the um, community and potentially caused more problems. Mm. Now, if there are more deaths or more hospitalizations, the government may then decide to quickly do all hospitalized people with a whole genome sequencing test mm. so that we do know if there's a brand new strain coming into the country. Mm. But it's really unusual for a democracy mm. where the voting public have voted in a government to act on their behalf, but they're not telling those that vote them in, mm. the whole community, that, about what's going on. That's quite, quite, quite surprising. You know, there are 60-odd um, infectious diseases that are required to be um, reported to the mm. government. Mm. So if you go to the doctor and you have an infectious disease uh, like whooping cough or flu, that will get reported to the government, to the to the Department of Health. And COVID should be the same. But mm. now, if you're not being tested, there's no way to report it because we don't know how many 
how many people there are, what, whether you have it or not. So it's really bizarre. Mm. I, I can only think that they think they're going to save a huge amount by reducing PCR. But they mm. could save a huge amount by using rapid antigen tests and then verify uh, with a, a PCR if they need to. Because can I just remind you mm. that last year in December, myself and, t- um, and, and two others who uh, have done a lot of outbreak management, yeah. um, there's uh, Dr. Um, Henning Lilvitz, who has been in the Army, worked for the Department of Health, uh, and has been a you know, fantastic outbreak management. Then there's Dr. Ian Norton, ex-WHO, brilliant at outbreak management. And then there was the um, director of the Technologies Australia. And we were pushing for the use of rapid antigen tests in 2020. Mm. And so all in 2021, we kept reminding the public and the government through telling the public Mm. that there are different levels of accuracy for the different um, uh, um, TGA-approved rapid antigen test. Yep. If you're only going to test somebody once to cross an internal border, mm-hmm. there are a couple of rapid antigen tests that are 100% accurate mm-hmm. to tell you that you're really negative. And that's mm-hmm. stunning. Mm-hmm. Then there are those that are 98 to 99% accurate. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to use them every day before you go into say, residential aged care, mm. that will get up to 99.999% accurate mm. after day three. Mm. So every day you go in to be tested at work, that will get to nearly 100% accurate by yeah. day three, day four. So that's fantastic. But if you're going to use them as diagnostics, mm. some of them are in only in the high 80s. Mm-hmm. Now, previously, the World Health Organization only approved of rapid antigen tests to send to low and middle income countries if they if they had a 90, uh, sorry an 87% accuracy for your positive your infect, infectious and your positive mm. but there are some that have a higher level yeah and the government could use the highest accuracy as a diagnostic not a screening to make sure you can go to work safely yeah. but as a diagnostic Mm. Um, and that um, they could then do occasionally a verification with an expensive PCR. Mm. But they've gone way past that because I think the pathology group failed to understand that nothing is perfect in an outbreak. Mm. And PCRs are good, but they're not always perfect either, particularly if you're not giving it to them with a very fast turnaround time Mm. or when the prevalence of infection changes in the community. So does the accuracy of a PCR test. So there are multiple problems. And then, of course, we saw the clerical problems. So Mm. nothing is perfect. But what we could have done was reduce the cost for the government and the taxpayer by using mostly a rapid antigen test, but still having PCR for a diagnostic test for people who you're really concerned about. Yeah, look, there's so many points that you have spoken about then, Mary Louise, and like uh, we 
probably won't be able to go all, over all of them, but I think one of them is, that, as you said, that you sit on that task force for the COVID infection control. Now, if they're going to reduce letting uh, knowledge out about if it's Delta or if it's Omicron, then my question is, do, if you don't get that information as a task force, how can you advise what to do? Secondly, in your advising of which is what you're set up for, your purpose and what you're being paid for, and nothing, I'm not saying anything there, but the thing is you're paid to give this information, yet you haven't got the amount of information you need to make that qualified, um, you know, uh, information back out to the government. Mm. Now, do the government actually ask you what's going on? If they do, do they actually take your advice or do they ask you because they're ticking a box and then go off and do what they have to do anyway? That's one of them. But the other thing is where the government said, well, you know, everyone should be responsible and they should look after themselves and learn how to deal with and work with Omicron, it's actually by what you said in the figures of what has come before um, December, it's actually not Omicron, it's actually Delta. Now, if we have to turn around and look after ourselves, okay, high five, we do that. But if we're not uh, also, as a general public, that vote in our politicians, if we're not given the information of QR testing, where is it actually happening? Where's the hotspots? It's all stopped in New South Wales. We have none of this information. Um, you know, you you'd mask wearing, yes, you do it one day, no, you don't do it the next day. And the rapid antigen testing, now, if that's been out for over a year, in some ways, you know, that's negligence not to even give people that option to do that. But to even go one step further, I mean, wouldn't it be, and, you know, this pro, it's rhetorical, to put this rapid antigen testing out for every household to have them? Now, I think, I, I'm not sure, but I think they do that in the UK. But the thing is that otherwise they only allow a certain majority of the population that can afford it to be able to look at how they're conducting the most cells, which is then uh, extremely biased. Now, um, I, I, my thing, what I'm saying here is that we're, or everyone's getting lack of information. There's a pr breakdown in communication. I, I mentioned to you just before we went on air today, and I have to Scott as well, that I got a New South Wales warning to tell me that I'd been in an infection area and I need to list, look after my symptoms if I have any. But it was saying that I went to a Bunnings and Marsden Park. Now, I have not ever been in a Bunnings at Marsden Park, but that's okay. I can say that's fine. But how do I know what I'm not getting in information? How do I know what is not being told to me? And this is what we all are, and you talk about a democracy, and it really does weigh some huge questions up. So from the point of being an epidemiologist, could you say that even though we were talking about Omicron being a super spreader, from the figures it actually shows that it's the Delta still? Mm. Right. Um, gosh, you've brought up a lot of really interesting and worrisome um, issues. So mm. let me remind you that at the World Health Organization, um, we talk about a global um, mm. control uh, issue around um, infection, around COVID. And what I'm concerned about is Australia is a member country mm. and they should be providing 
continuously the number of cases Mm. that they are identifying so that the WHO can calculate for uh, in our Western Pacific region how well Mm. we're going. Mm. And Australia, quite frankly, had one of the highest rates just recently um, uh, in the last um, weekly report of WHO Mm. um, that we were sort of leading the way. Um, and also get an idea of how fast it's spreading around yeah. the world. But if we're not going to be testing, uh, then as a member country, we're not providing the organization with enough data mm. so that they can get a global idea of what's what's being seen, what's changing. That's very disappointing. Mm. The government never asks me my opinion about issues, except I do very... Um, I have worked with the Clinical Excellence Commission in New South Wales mm. for many years. They are quite a remarkable um, department of health where they look at patient safety. So in between um, outbreaks, you know, global outbreaks, I have worked with them on fantastic um, patient safety projects yeah. that they've done. They have, they've been brilliant. Mm. They've often led Australia with some of the sepsis, reducing sepsis in, in, in patients, reducing central line infections, in, introducing hand hygiene years ago yeah. uh, in hospitals. They do amazingly well. Yeah. And I sit on one of their, um, the, the COVID task force and I provide them with updates about what's happening at yeah. WHO for infection uh, control of COVID. Yeah. But I, they're the only group I, I do speak with that you know, ring me up and ask me about stuff or I join their mm. uh, join their committee um, meetings. But uh, I am very, very, very concerned that we will not, as a member country, be able to provide global information mm. because it makes an enormous difference to, uh, you know, for example, um, they, WHO was told by South Africa they had a problem with a variant of interest. They followed it for a few days, then decided it was so big in numbers and it was uh, spread so fast that they then called it a variant of concern mm. it, it, it very rapidly and told the whole world, watch this space. Mm. And then, of course, the UK took over with numbers mm. because they had no infection control uh, in the community as a, as a whole group, mm. uh, you know, as a whole nation. And so they were, they're leading the way at the moment, sadly, and they are leading the way in Europe. And in fact, um, France has just announced uh, recently that they have about an infection every two minutes. Wow. Now, if they didn't provide this information mm. to WHO, we wouldn't know what's going on with the rest of the world. Yeah. So we are a community. And, you know, when you talk about how the government told us that we need to be more uh, independent about mm. our own, our caring our own health, that, that fails to understand that Australians care for their health, but they also care for everybody else's health because that's what we've always done. Mm. We've always understood when we get a vaccine for whooping cough, for example, Mm. we're actually protecting our kids, but we're also protecting everybody else and the grandparents so they Mm. don't get sick. So it's not just individual health, it's our community. 
And and then from an Australian perspective as a member of WHO, it's part of the community of the global um, mm. community. So uh, that's been forgotten and it's very disappointing. Mm. And I can only assume that this is some way of potentially reducing the cost, but they haven't thought about it carefully. Now they've had the Australian Health Protection Principal Committee, the AHPPC, mm. uh, go to talk to um, the Chief uh, Health Officer, uh, Greg Hunt, and they've all come to the decision that they're agreeing with uh, not uh, having PCR tests on anybody that turns up. Now, the, those people on that AHPPC are all Chief Health Officers. Are mm. uh, in the states and territories, mm. and the only one that didn't agree was Western Australia. Mm. And so uh, you have to wonder why every state um, and territory would would agree to not testing. Mm. It has to have something to do with cost. Mm. But I'm hoping that they will then realise what it means as a member of the world to help tell the world what we're doing, what's happening mm. with us, mm. how well we're doing. Yeah. Whether or not we can tell people where to go, where not to go. Yeah. We should have had an app where we could have seen on the app yeah. uh, hotspots where not to go. Because many people have a family or themselves yeah. with a very serious infection that yeah. even if they've been vaccinated, they still may be at risk of yeah. uh, infection, be it Delta or Omicron. Yeah. But we don't have that either. And yet we have the most wonderful signs as in geospatial systems mm. um, that could have easily made this. Mm. So, uh, uh, you know, sometimes we do the most amazing things and other times uh, we we do things that I'm hoping will make um, governments turn around and mm. think to themselves, maybe that wasn't such a good idea and mm. hoping this is one of them. Do you think these rapid antigen tests that come out... I'm sorry, Scott, I'm hogging everything. That's okay. Yeah. 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 These rapid antigen chest tests that are coming out... Do you think that the public has the right to know which are in the high percentage of accuracy? Yes, absolutely. So what um, what they should be doing is teaching the public uh, look at the um, at the uh, instructions, mm. and it should have two levels of accuracy: one for what's called sensitivity, mm. and that's the accuracy of diagnosing you mm. because you've got a symptom mm. but if you're using it without a symptom you look at the accuracy for specificity in other words screening mm. how good is it at that you're that they're screening you as definitely negative you think you're negative uh, you're not giving any symptoms are you really negative mm. now if they're going to use them because they're feeling well but they're concerned that they may have been exposed to it mm. or that they want to go to see an elderly relative safely, look at the specificity. Mm -hmm. If they've decided to use them because they've got um, a, a symptom, mm. then they're looking, they're using it as a diagnostic test. Mm -hmm. So they need to look at the sensitivity. Right. How good are they at accurately identifying you as having the disease. Yep. And how long does it take for that? If you've got the disease, how is there an incubation period in your own self that the uh, self-antigen testing won't pick up? Mm. Yeah, very good question. So with Delta, the infection, the infectious 
um, uh, the incubation period from being exposed to getting symptoms mm. um, is two days, about two days shorter than the previous one. So mm. you start to become symptomatic with, in other words, high level of viral load mm. by day four. Mm-hmm. And even if you've been vaccinated, you might not actually feel it, mm. but you're highly infectious to others. So this, uh, these tests can work very well from about day two to day four, mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. And then as your viral load declines, mm-hmm. if you've been vaccinated, it can decline with Delta rapidly. Mm-hmm. And that's why being vaccinated, you're, you're still at risk of spread of ink, of causing infection in others. Mm. However, uh, it's much less of a risk because you've been vaccinated and those antibodies go in and do the job very, very, very fast. Mm. So you're about 70, 75% less likely to pass Delta on mm. if you've been vaccinated, which is mm. great. Um, but your rapid antigen test will then continue to work for a couple of days after you get symptoms, mm-hmm. if you start feeling symptoms. Yes. But a PCR test will continue to be positive for much longer than that because it's highly, 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 highly accurate Mm -hmm. uh, and it will uh, continue to be able to pick you up for much longer. Mm -hmm. But you're using these tests to give you an idea Mm -hmm. about how risky you are to others. So you're going to be using them fairly regularly if that's your concern. If you've got Omicron, the incubation period is even shorter than Delta and you could actually start getting symptoms on day three. And then um, uh, the rapid antigen test probably starts working on the second day and certainly the third day. Um, If you ignore some of the symptoms because they're not obvious to you, you might have a slight runny nose or you might have a headache or you might feel very tired because you think you've had a great Christmas. That's actually um, potentially a symptom of Omicron. Now, if you test yourself with a rapid antigen test, they do still work very well with Omicron, which is great. So you can diagnose yourself uh, quite well with some of those very, very, very mild symptoms very well. So um, it will stop working as being positive, you know, like with Delta, about five days after symptoms because your antibody levels start to decline. But if you've been vaccinated, it may they may decline even faster than that. Um, but it, if that's the case, then probably you're not infectious to others either. So that's a lot of information to absorb, which is really, really good. No, I mean, it's Sorry. running. No, no, it's really, really good. I mean, this is, this is really cutting edge. I mean, I... I I've been living with this like everybody has been for, for years now and, and what you're saying is just mind-blowing. It's really got me thinking. So in layman terms, if I'm feeling, and this is with the rapid test, if I'm feeling a little bit under the weather on a Monday, I should hold off until, what do you think, Wednesday, Thursday to do the test to get a more accurate reading? No, start doing it as soon as you feel slightly off. And um, 
and then do it the next day as well. These can uh, turn out to be positive fairly early on uh, if you've uh, raised a, a high level of um, of response, so uh, uh, anti antigen or um, virus. Uh, but equally, you could be negative because you actually never had the the COVID, you actually had something else. So do it for a couple of days in a row. Right. And my other... And Sorry. I was just going to say, and that's why I believe they should be for free mm. because the best way Great. of testing yourself, if you do have some very mild symptoms, uh, which may, may not be COVID, but it could be, um, is to do it a couple of days in a row. And that's 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 a fair response, isn't it? Tell me about the the shelf life or the proper handling of the rapid test. Nothing has really been talked about that. What's the the likelihood of doing it wrong and contamination with a with a rapid test? What what should we what I guess what should we do to make sure we are getting an accurate test? Um, gosh. Um, okay. So the the um, instructions are pretty simple. They really are pretty simple. So uh, they often have a little, tiny little test tube, tiny, tiny, tiny one that uh, you're going to put a swab. Now, you don't have to reach your brain. This is just <laughs> a swab for, for the nose, not for the, it's not, um, mm. you know, uh, g- going all the way back uh, oh. into the, into the, yes, into the depth uh, that really touches your brain. Yeah, this my is, eyes are watering yeah, right now. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. So they're quite good, and some of them also have uh, saliva tests as well. Mm. So let's just talk about um, uh, a very common one, a nasal, nasal swab. Mm. So you do your nasal swab and you, you know, put, put it up in your nose and, and, and roam it around circular for mm. about five, five times. Mm. Uh, and then you put it in this tiny, tiny, tiny little uh, test tube and, uh, you know, circle around, you know, 360 degrees uh, several times again. And then uh, you put, uh, some of them have something like a, a lid on the top of it. So you then put a, uh, only three drops. So, but you have to, it depends which brand. Mm. And they've all got very clear, clear instructions. Mm-hmm. You might just put a couple of drops only on um, a tiny, tiny square on the top of this it uh, looks like a pregnancy test mm. uh, where you have uh, a couple of letters for whether you're positive or negative, and under that is a tiny little square uh, that you te- that you put the drops in. And I- I'm just giving you an example of a classic one. Yes. And uh, then you know you might wait for ten minutes for for it to come through. So it's it's very very easy to do, um, but. If you're concerned because you've done something wrong, if you're given them for free, you could then try again. Yes. Um, because after doing it the first time, you'll get it. Mm. it it's not very difficult because you'll get it really easily. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, Catherine mentioned she wasn't sure whether the UK give them out for free. They do. They I have. Think so. yeah. They've been mm. giving them out for over a year. Mm. Singapore give them out for free now. Mm-hmm. So they are really, really important and easy to do. Mm. But don't be surprised if you have to practice, you know, for the second time mm. to be able to do it well. And, you know, some of them have a new way of uh, putting 
the swab into the nose of children mm. uh, so that it is um, kind of like, I don't know, a moustache or a, I don't know, some, yeah, <laughs> some other cute the, thing yeah, yeah. To, to make fun about yes. it, you know, with yes. kids. Yes. And, um, uh, but some of them just use a swab. Uh, so uh, the children, they you it's unlikely they'll find it unpleasant because you don't need to push that swab mm. to a really unpleasant yeah. area at the back of your neck. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so th- does that kind of give you an idea about how to do these? They often come in um, a vacuum, can, um, you know, like a sealed so, um, uh, container that has several of the tests. Mm. Um and uh, and that's good because um, it, there'll be instructions about whether to to store, you know, where to store them and how to store them to keep them fairly safe. Well, it sounds um, pretty foolproof, doesn't it? Yeah, look, they're like a pregnancy test, mm. so they're very foolproof, very easy to do. We have to teach the guys that one, Mary Louise. They don't know about pregnancy tests. They just stand there and they go, oh, wow. Or then the next question, is it a boy or a girl, you know? So we, we well, really have to teach the boys this one. But um, look. Well, you know, they have been amazing for, you know, I mean, it, it, this isn't, the, this isn't the, the future or the current, uh, but previously they were very good at things like, you know, car repairs and, mm, um, mm. Uh, you know, uh, uh, electricity and everything. And now yeah. women are as good. So, yeah. look, if, if they can There's fix hope. a house, build a house, mm. uh, you know, use a screwdriver, yeah. you know, and, and screw things in, they can do these tests easy. Yeah. It'll be yeah. easy for them. And, look, they've all become great uh, chefs now. So this is easy for them, you yeah. know, than cutting up onions. Thank you the- for your vote of confidence. <laughs> 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 look, look. Really, thank you so much for chatting with us this morning at Pulse FM here in the Hawkesbury. And uh, everything you've said is just, its as Scott said, it is sort of news that people won't hear. And I do believe everyone needs to have the truth of situations so they can make a fair assessment. And this is particularly why I wanted to chat with you this morning. We might be able to catch up on another time if you've got time, Mary Louise. I'm, I'm always happy to talk to you, um, Catherine and Scott, and um, and thank you for bringing me into your community. I, I um, think uh, it's great uh, people like you and the journalists mm. are really interested in um, educating the public. It's really very mm. helpful, and I, I also congratulate the public uh, and your community because, gosh, they've done brilliantly in Australia, and they just need some more help to work out how they can continue to do a great job yeah. and hopefully that will be with a rapid antigen test. Well, we hope and it will be free into every household. Maybe that's yes. what we could try and get happening if we we've just got to go for it. That's it. So, um, anyway, thank you very much. I'll let you get back to your day and um, we'll chat again another time. Lovely. Thank you great. very much. Take care. Bye. Bye. And that, of course, was uh, Mary Louise uh, McCall, Professor Mary Louise McCall, an epidemiologist with expert expertise in hospital infections and infectious disease control. Uh, she has she's World Health Organization member, emergency program expert advisory panel for infectious prevention and control preparedness, readiness, and response to COVID nineteen, and a member of the New South Wales Clinical Excellence. Commission COVID Infection Prevention and Control Task. She is the focal point 
for the WHO Global, the WHO being the World Health Organisation, Global Outbreak Alert and Response Network in the School of Population Health. She sits currently as a Deputy President, Academic Board, uh, University of New South Wales Global Water Institute. She sits on that board as well and also the University of New South Wales Institutional Biosafety Committee. So, in other words, uh, she's extremely well qualified. What well, did you think? I thought that was just no holds barred mm. and has really opened my eyes and I mm. hope it's opened everybody else's eyes mm. in regards to what we're dealing with. Mm. It, that's a heart starter. That's a, a, a really, really mm. big thing for what, what's happened and I really thank uh, Mary Louise for coming on and giving mm. us that knowledge, that mm. knowledge that... Uh, how we, what we need to do as a community mm. to keep up the good fight. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, it's always good to have the knowledge coming from the source and people that know what they're talking about.